This podcast may contain coarse language. Listener's discretion is advised. Also, this podcast will obviously contain spoilers for Demon Slayer. Please beware, listen at your own risk. Welcome to the Demon Slayer Podcast. I am your host, VLORGTZ, and with me today, I have Marion. Hello. Also with us today is Sakaki. Hey, what's up, man? And lastly today, we have Lum Ramayasha. Hey, hey, hey. Happy holidays, or whenever you're listening to this, happy nearest holiday closest to you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess to date the podcast, we're recording this, like, on the 26th, the day after Christmas. Happy Boxing Day, everyone. Except Boxing Day is not really a thing in the U.S., well, I don't know. I love boxes. I love putting out my boxes on the side of the ro- road. And then every day after Boxing Day, the big green truck comes and picks it up and takes it to a magical place where they recycle it and make it into new boxes. Isn't and the that cycle s- continues every year. No, it is a very special thing that only happens the day after Boxing Day, we lord. Not any other time of the year. The other time of the year, they pick up the boxes and they just throw it in the ocean and feed it to the fishes so that they eat the boxes and they all die. But only on this very special day, this very special occasion, do they take the old boxes and make it into new boxes for the new year? This still just sounds like recycling day. That, that sounds That's it, the magic the, of Boxing Day. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> oh, joy to boxes old and new. We put them out and say goodbye to you. Then they <laughs> rearrange them and present them back as brand new Boxing Day. It was a mistake to invite you on this podcast. Well, you can't get rid of me. We live in the same home. Yeah, I should have thought about this ahead of time. Well, you're stuck here for months. Until you find a new place. True, I just moved out of my apartment, so I am stuck here. Yeah. Damn. You can't get rid of me. Someone send help. Even on episodes where I'm not formally invited, I will pop up and interject with a random aside. I mean, considering how many times I walk in when you're recording, I can't blame you. Well, in those cases, you don't actually want to be heard on the podcast but I call you over, and I always regret it because you ruined the podcast, we lord. Which is why I tell you to get out of there, Marion. I think we've stepped into a sibling landmine. Maybe we should see our way out. <laughs> see- well, it is the holidays. <laughs> Time to pack ourselves into a box and ship ourselves into another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Will we be recycled? Because I mean, dude, that whole boxing thing. I was just gonna watch Hajime no Ippo today and call that my boxing day, but Ooh. now I'm depressed. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yes, yeah, so another Boxing Day tradition is to turn on the TV, p- watch the latest pay-per-view boxing match where the boxers are wearing Santa Claus costumes and going ho 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 as they beat each other into oh red bloody pulp. Now I wish this was a thing, even though that would be really violent. Yeah. You know, 
you guys know what's actually my favorite kind of box? Um, it's actually here on the cover page of chapter 188. That little square <laughs> that has it has like Thank uh, you. <laughs> it has open eyes, like mouth, like half open, and he's like gripping it. It's it's very very interesting. Like yeah, what thank, what, what, you, thank you, Marion, for bring us back on topic. <laughs> oh. Boxes are very on topic for Demon Slayer. I mean, Nezuko is kept in the box for most of the series. Fair she enough. Is the, oh my god, Nezuko, she is the box demon. <laughs> Anyways, this week we are going to be talking about chapter 188 of the Demon Slayer manga. Um, so let's just get straight into it here. Starting off the chapter, we have a cover page, which, as Marin explained, has Open Eye, which is in like, who's in like sort of a cage, uh, box type thing. Um, we see the title of the chapter here is Sorrowful Love. Um, on the next page, we race back to the fight with Muzan, and Muzan's going ham with his weird demon tentacle whip thingies. His Dr. Oct power up. Yeah, he's he's basically Doc Ock at this point. It's a full 360 shockwaves to the ground. Like, not just the ground is being affected, but, like, the buildings behind him he's slashing up. Completely indiscriminate. Yeah, he's he's going ham here. Um, and the Hashira sure are feeling it. Like, we have Gyome on this next page being kind of overwhelmed by all the attacks. And Igoro's kind of saying that he can no longer shield... Uh, Gilme from everything, and he's also going to be immobile soon. Uh, we also see Giyu and Sanami also struggling their asses off, and Kanroji especially is uh, taking quite a beat in here. Um, she can't see the uh, blades at all, and she's kind of just relying on intuition and luck to dodge everything. Um, and she's kind of afraid that she'll be the first one to fall, even though she feels like she's barely done nothing in the fight. And she kind of goes on to say that she has to be willing to risk it all in attack, even though she might not be able to stop Muzan. Um, then Muzan throws more of his, like, whip blades at Kanroji, and she avoids them, or at least she thinks that she avoids them. But it turns out that she got quite a few hits. And on page five, we see that she's been cut up pretty badly all over the place, especially on her face. Like a good chunk of her cheek has just been sliced. Um, and we see at the bottom of the page, Igro is just racing over to her as she collapses. Yeah, I think she's definitely been affected by the poison in Muson's tentacles. And that's what's kind of keeping her movement sluggish, which is what allows Muzan to really, like, cut off her arm and part of her cheek there. Yeah. Like, I mean, she's, I, like, I, getting I, nicked, like, very frequently. Yeah, at, like, the bottom of page four, too, you see, like, she got a few small cuts there, and those kind of intensified on the next page. So it probably is Muzan's poison. Yeah, I mean, even the previous page, she was getting nicked and cut up. So, yeah, like they're just taking a toll on her. OK, um, we're moving on and we have uh, I forgot his name. Just as you said, <laughs> Yome, yeah. Himeji, right? Himejima. <laughs> Himejima. <laughs> but yeah, Kyome, he's like, what was it? He he even he's like, I mean, he's keeping up, but he's also, I mean, that attack, he sees the attack that fell a Conroji, and he was just like, wow, I thought she dodged that one. 
And then they're all, they all try to go, they all try to jump in on Muzan, but he's not having any of it. It seems like Guillaume strikes a blow that, like, destroys one of Muzan's hands, at the very least. Yeah. He swings his, like, big ball and chain with the spikes, and it, like, totally destroys one of Muzan's limbs. So, yeah, they get He would swing that big ball at me. Kidding. And actually, it looks like one of uh, Muzan's other arm, it, at least it seems like either it is blocked by the other two or they actually are succeeding in cutting it up. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're, they're, getting, they're getting in damage, but it's not like it's really slowing Muzan down any. I mean, like, they're basically tickling him at this point because <laughs> he's still going strong. And then Igoro is telling... Other the other demon slayers there to tend to Kanroji's wounds, and then he asked him to find a member with almond-shaped eyes who has this paper, and he's asking about oh it's Yushiro Yushiro wow, and the, the, which is interesting because I think we discussed it before where it's like if he's connected to Tamayo doesn't it does that mean he may not be around anymore? <laughs> but well, well I guess we'll see. Then he we already know he survived past Tamayo. Right? I mean, because he's the one who controlled uh, Nakime. Nakime caused uh, the whole castle to crash. So he's still around somewhere, I think. He's in critical condition, though. Yeah. yeah. But, like, this is basically them trying to go find Dende, but Dende is already mortally wounded. So, will that work out? Will Kanmoji get her Vegeta esque Zinkai boost? We don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> We're getting ready for Sunday, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but you know, they're they're telling you basically Conroji's in no in condition to fight, but she doesn't know that. <laughs> She's saying, you know, I won't do guys back. I, I can do this. I can get back up. I'm still good. But Igoro's like Igoro's telling her that she's you're not good. You need to just stay put. And she's I mean, it's really kind of sad. She just keeps kind of romantic, you know his mantra like I didn't do anything I can't die I, I didn't help and then you know Igoro's ignoring her now and he just leaves her to the corpse the corpse member to you know take care of her and then he runs off to get to, he runs back into battle and she's just saying I'll go with you and then she's saying I don't want you to don't get yourself killed and then you know she goes on saying she doesn't want anybody else to die and then they go, we get into Igor's thoughts, and he's like, you know, he's reflecting on how many lives have been lost because of demons, and he was like, he wished that the two of them could have met under normal circumstances, which I find interesting that in this picture, like, they're dressed normally, but he's still snakes. <laughs> like, I, I, it kind of makes me question what his definition of normal is, but oh my that's God. okay to him. <laughs> Are you happy, Twitter? You finally have your in-canon modern clothes Kimetsu no Yaiba people. Are you happy now? Are you happy? <laughs> yeah, he still can't let the snakes go. He's still got one like wrapped around like it's a necklace or something. But <laughs> It's like a scarf. It's like a... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a scarf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's even better. But yeah, it makes me question what normal is to him. But, uh, <laughs> but um, then, you know, he's like, I wish we could have met a normal circumstance. And then, you know, walks that back. He's like, wait, no. That's impossible for me, yeah, because she likes snakes as a scarf. <laughs> but, but, and then we, we, his, a bit of the scarf that he was wearing, a non snake one, comes off, and he, we see that, yeah, he's got, 
like a, he's got a smile that goes up to his cheeks. Like his mouth is pretty elongated. He's like Heath Ledger Joker over there. I was, yeah. I was reaching. Why for so that. serious, Igoro? I mean, you got a smile on your face all the time. I was reaching for that, but I wasn't sure who played him. <laughs> but so nice save, Sid. Nice save. <laughs> but then you know he's reflecting on like days. Unless I die, and basically he's saying, unless I die and reborn, I'm not good enough to be with you. Okay. You know, I belong. I belong to a bloodline that you know killed other people to make money. You know, we fa- they they made money off other people's misfortune and lived in luxury. And basically, he just says, "My family's ugly, and because of that, I can't be with you." Yeah, the the sequence immediately into flashback mode, uh, where we see his uh his narration. The family that he was born to gave birth to too many girls, and it had been over three hundred seventy years since the last birth of a boy. And uh, yeah, you you see like uh, a lot of people there, like babies, uh, women, just little girls as well. They're all dressed like really really well. And then on the next panel, we see, uh, like, basically what the, the cover page was alluding to, where it's like a, almost like a cage, uh, in like a, like a box-shaped room with a, a, a door that's locked. And uh, Igor continues monologuing that ever since the time of his birth, that he has been confined to a cell. And his mother, sisters, and aunts, they all found over him, so much to the point where it felt disgusting to him. And each day they brought him, like, lots of really good food. But, like, he was still in a cage. So it was it was so weird. Like, the, the poor ventilation made the smell of fat so suffocating that he felt nauseous. That was, that was a detail that, like, the way it was delivered, I wasn't really expecting. Yeah, it's so strange. Like, they keep giving him all this food, even though he clearly hasn't eaten his last meals. Like... And who is in charge of, like, cleaning up the place? Like, why would you let all this stuff accumulate like this? I don't know. It definitely I... makes what happens later, though, a lot more uh, effed up. I mean, it's already pretty effed up right here. I just kind of like that, as Marion said, I just like that description, though. Because normally when you think of good food, you don't think about that. You think about it, oh, it's good. It smells great. I'm going to eat this. But I've just never heard of opulence, like describe that way that i got so much good food it like unless you're eating the good food but the scent of it's just the fat of it just sitting there in the room is making this person sick and i've just never heard that description in anything i've read before so that really stuck with me <laughs> yeah and like the fact that he's in a cage it makes this sound less like a like an actual meal and more like he's being treated like uh like livestock, I guess. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. I mean, he is literally being raised to be eaten. <laughs> he's like one of the kids in the Promised Neverland. Yeah. <laughs> he's not one of the free-range kids. They just have to have him start doing quizzes, and it'll all be good. Oh my gosh! Oh no! <laughs> I'm sure. I'm pretty sure he was homeschooled. Uh, <laughs> he was a top scorer. God. At least he wasn't going to Springfield Elementary in Treehouse of Horror 5, because he would have been uh, sent to detention and got it even for just dropping a pencil. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, God, that was such a reach, but I, I remember it now, <laughs> vividly. <laughs> poor Ooter. <laughs> poor, poor Ooter. Oh, man. Uh, and then the next panel, we see these noises. Uh, like, sure, sure, sure. And it's like a 
a really creepy sound of something math- massive just like crawling around uh even like while he's like trying to sleep and at night he would feel the, like a gaze fixed upon him and his whole body would sweat and it would be impossible for him to sleep until the noise just stopped and then at the time that he turned 12 uh i was gonna say at the time he turned 12 o'clock <laughs> at the time he- <laughs> i've been at work for too long <laughs> Um, at the time he turned 12, uh, they dragged him from the cell and then they took him to a huge, uh, gaudy, luxurious room. And then, uh, at the center, as if enshrined like an object of worship, there was a female demon whose lower body was that of a serpent. And, uh, we, we see a big panel with like, uh, a skulls thrown about and then the, the snake body there. There's a, there's a mirror too. And like the face of the demon is like, a. It's it's like a snake. It's not like a human face. Uh, she's looking like uh, like Proppy's best friend from middle school and my hero. <laughs> oh, I remember that. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, this is obviously a naga, like the the creature from like uh, like Hinduism and uh, Buddhism, mm. like the legends and shit. Uh, yeah, and then. Uh, Next page, uh, Igoro is just like sweating in a cold sweat. Like he immediately realized that that was uh, what was like around him at night, uh, making the noises and staring at him, even though he, he didn't know what it was. And uh, she speaks, "You are small, so very small. Perhaps I should wait until you are bigger." And like, yeah, he was obviously like being fattened up for for the steaming. Uh, and he goes on that his family had been living off the riches stolen from those who the the serpent demon had slayed and the woman loved feeding upon newborn babies so in return uh his family had been offering their own offspring to her as sacrifices and he was a rare child with uh heterochromia so like his his eyes were different colors and because of that like the demon was really interested in him and had allowed him to live until he grew to like a bigger size so she can like savor it more basically and um after after seeing him, uh, once he turned twelve, she determined that uh, Igoro would live a little longer. So she she had his mouth cut open to more closely resemble her own, and the blood was spilled into a chalice and she drank it. So that's where he got the scars, like making uh, like the edges of his uh, his mouth longer. It sounds like she grew like kind of a infatuation with him, like to to make him look like her. Mm-hmm. There's some undertones there. Yeah. But also, very curious about him because of his heterochromia. It seems that she is quite the gourmet, like gourmet from Tokyo Ghoul. Yeah. I, oh, I, don't, yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. But also, another Promise Neverland co- connection. Like, they were raising him until 12 to be eaten originally, just like the kids in Promise Neverland. Wow, it's almost, it's almost like they're in the same magazine. Yeah. Or... I wonder, maybe that they have the same kind of philosophy. Go to gay stealing. <laughs> no, they're just making it better. I mean, just kidding. But, you know, <laughs> I, I like we can go into more later, but I do find it interesting, kind of like the relationship between this snake demon and the family, because like they they have like an exchange going on, but like I want why, like what, why does the snake demon like? steal these riches and why does she like just wait for these uh this family to just give her the babies like why does why doesn't she just like kind of 
go around to place to place to do that? Is it just like kind of laziness? Is like, oh, I can just wait here. This is a family of only women. So if they just keep getting pregnant, keep giving birth, then that's a, like a healthy stream of babies. But even then, I can't imagine that the amount of babies that she gets to feed on is that frequent. Yeah, I think I think that's like the right track. Uh, it was just like a mutually beneficial relationship because of the fact that like she could still just kill people like kill like random people and like those the family that she's like guarding i guess would uh be able to take over those places and like uh it's just it was like a like i said like a mutually beneficial kind of relationship for them because um the impression i got is that like uh for the demon it's much more much more feasible to live in hiding with like a like a human family that could just when it when it's like the daytime or whatever, she has a safe refuge. She doesn't have to worry about like finding uh, a place to go or whatever. So I, again, I am curious to like how did this start? Like who made the first proposal? Like how did this family and this demon meet? And like what was like the conversation that led to them forming like this relationship? Like how did they convince? Hey. The first person in this family to go like, hey, I'll give you this baby and I'll give you shelter in this house. And uh, if you don't kill the rest of us, you know, we will keep feeding you babies. And for as long as our family line continues and uh, in return, you just got to get money for us. Sounds like a great deal. It seems like there is more to this backstory and this relationship between this snake goddess and this family that could have been explored in terms of the origins of the relationship. So, uh, going back to the last panel of page uh, 15, uh, back in the cell, Igro can only think about escaping and surviving, so uh, he stole a hairpin and started scratching away at the lattice of his cell, like where the wood is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just chipping away day by day, very nervously. You know, it's a interesting thing is that apparently the snake that Igro has around him to this day was just a random snake that he named Kaburamaru, who just strayed into the cell one day. Like, this family has a connection with snakes, clearly, because they worship the snake goddess, but it, this is just a random snake that he befriended. Like, it has nothing to do with, like, the fact that the family had snakes on the premises or anything. It's just randomly there. But it was Igoro's only friend, and he had it when, him, when he made his escape. Just one day, he was able to actually succeed at chipping away at the wooden gates of his cell, and he just ran out of it. Which I'm uh, you know, he's quite uh, healthy. I suppose they are feeding him fatty foods, but you think as someone locked in a cage all day, he would not be the most physically fit or well-equipped to do, uh, you know, good running. But, you know, he, he was running, but the snake goddess, like, caught up to him, nearly killed him, but then the flame Hashra saved him. And we were debating this before recording, but just based on the fact that this flame Ashra looks much older than Igoro, and the fact that Rengoku is actually a year younger than Igoro, we have determined that this flame Ashra must be Rengoku's father. Yes. But this flame Ashra, he brought uh, Igoro... Uh, together with his surviving cousin, his 
heretofore not mentioned cousin that we didn't really see a relationship with, but, you know, the cousin rejected him, uh, blaming him for killing all of their family, like all 50 members of their family were all killed by the snake goddess because he ran away. Which, it seems very dumb on the part of the snake goddess because... This family supposedly had been serving her for centuries and feeding her very reliably uh, meals of newborn babies. And it's a family of all women, clearly 50 women, uh, who I'm sure have made a system that they're going to give birth to babies maybe once a week. They time it up that way. I don't know. Oh my know. God. <laughs> I don't know. 50 people, Swift 52 up. weeks in a year. It's messed up, but maybe that's, that's what they planned it out like that. But yeah, so I feel like the snake goddess made a very dumb, hasty decision there, basically giving up her very reliable source of food and livestock. But anyway, the cousin, you know, rants, and rages against Igoro for running away, getting the family killed, saying, you were supposed to let the Dimitri as a sacrifice. Clearly, uh, she has messed up priorities and sense of morals uh, there. But despite the fact that she's so obviously in the wrong and a terrible person because she wanted to feed her brother to a snake goddess, you know, Igoro was feeling pain and guilt over the words because uh, he had considered what might happen to his relatives if he had escaped, but he escaped because he wanted to live. But he feels that because he was born into that family, he too was corrupt. And he thought that he was sinful and could not live a normal life. Like, also kind of very unjustified feelings of guilt just by being born into this family associated with it, which are very unjustified very sad to see him kind of psychologically damaged and uh dehumanize himself that way but basically that's why he joined the demon slayer course because you know he didn't think he could live a normal life and with no other place to go he decided to turn his rage on demons fueled by his intense hatred because he felt by risking his life for others he felt that he could become slightly a better person However, the decaying hands of 50 people whose eyes, well, basically all 50 members of the family who were slaughtered by the snake goddess, you know, to this day, they continue to nod and claw at him and hold me back. Like, he's still burdened with the guilt and the trauma of what happened and the feeling that he was responsible for all of their deaths. And he will never be able to atone for that. And he's a terrible person. So he kind of has no value in his own life. Like he wants to die. He wants to die feeding Muzan. He thinks that his death will purify his filthy blood, his tainted blood. And then he thinks that, you know, if I am reborn as a human being, again, dehumanizing himself, not really thinking of himself as a person. He thinks that if he is reborn in a peaceful world without demons, then he is worthy enough to tell uh, Kanroji of his feelings for her. So, yeah, I mean, in these last pages alone, we kind of established that Kanroji is so deeply traumatized uh, that he is basically uh, self-depreciating suicidal uh wants to die has no sense of self-worth it is very dark and very 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 sad this is definitely a very messed up backstory yeah 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 
probably probably one of the darkest in Demon Slayer, I'd say. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen a protagonist uh, in the series as psychologically damaged as he seems. Like, in terms of all this guilt and trauma and just this... Com- the like the image of like his dead family members like zombie like like clawing at his back like dragging him the him down to them into like the grave is like chilly chilly and so i think personally where i'd like to see the story go is that he realizes his sense of self-worth. I mean, he loves the love Hashira, so maybe she can show him that he has value and that he can he doesn't have to be burdened by his past and these feelings of guilt that what happened to them was not his fault and he should not think that he has no right to live a normal life and consider himself a human being because of that and you know he can go on living like now after this chapter i really hope that ikaro does not actually die because i think that would be actually a very tragic end for a story and not i don't feel that would be thematically appropriate for the series is generally optimistic uh and kind soul i would say yeah i mean i i would like for Hiro not to die, but I have a feeling that he might. I mean, there are definitely death flags, death signals here. I'm hoping that's a misdirect because, again, just because of the fact that he is a suicidal character, he's going into this fight wanting to die because he thinks his death is the only way to redeem himself, I think that would be a bad message if he actually succeeds in doing that. I feel like what might most likely happen, which might be more tragic, is... Kanroji dying. Yeah, I was just about I was just about to say that I could see really at this point a story a thing where she doesn't live and he does. I could kind of see it going that way. <laughs> yeah, that would be tragic as well, but I if Kanroji does die, I think that it should be to protect Igoro and to reassure him that no, live on for me, live on because I I believe I think you're an amazing person and you have the right to live a normal life. Like don't feel burdened by your past any longer. Like kind of like let allowing Igor to break free of this, of the grasp of his family trauma. That would make me sad if that were like, uh, cause you see at the beginning of the chapter where she's like, I haven't done anything. And then the thing she does is allow Igor to, live as a human yeah i mean at least then she would have done something because she would have saved igoro and helped him you know yeah actually be able to live uh his life like it sounds like it basically he has never actually truly been allowed to live because he was raised as livestock and then after he was free he, he really wasn't because he was still tra- he's still trapped by his family basically and now he's still in a situation where he's living every day on the edge of life and death and feeling this idea that he needs to die at some point to redeem himself so if Kanrochi succeeds in freeing him from that mindset then that is a huge huge thing i think that would be a an accomplishment it would be sad though for her to have to die to do that and i don't know 
Like, I feel like Kanroji has just not been given a whole lot to do in the arc. She's had funny moments, but not a whole lot of great accomplishments in the fight against Muzan and the the upper rank Kiski or whatever. So I feel like she I want her to not only save Igoro, if that's what this is leading to, but also do something that is provides a huge turning point. And critic in the fight with Muzan and the critical blow to him. Yeah, I think that would be satisfying. Yeah, yeah, I could agree with that. I mean, it would also be in. It also, I guess, it would be in like it would match her theme as being the love pillar. That that love. I mean, I I I kind of now talking to everybody about. It, I kind of want her to live too. I mean, I love for both of them to just not die. Why can't everyone just be happy? Yeah, exactly. I love for this just to end up with them both surviving, which I guess at this point we don't really know much of anything, so it could happen. But, I mean, considering Gozuke's track record, I don't know. <laughs> they killed our boy Genya. No one is safe. Never forget. I mean, that, that we got not even just Genya, but we got Muichiro just oh. yeah, the, just just two, two bros in one arc, in one chapter. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't imagine that we won't be seeing uh, more losses in this fight with Muzan. Like, we are definitely going to see more character deaths, I think. So, I I would, though. I think the happiest end is for both of them to survive and be able to live a life together. I actually think that would be the most satisfying. And I think that it would make sense story-wise. But we'll see where uh, Gotoge goes with this. But, like, this is really interesting. I kind of wish this backstory was slowed down, though. You know, we mentioned it earlier, but there are, like, pieces in here where it's like, I get wh- I get why this situation is what it is, but it feels like you could explore more the history of this family. You could establish, like, the connection between the snake goddess and the family a little bit stronger, and Igoro's general connection with snakes as a motif, a team. Uh, and then also there's this whole cousin character that comes in at the end. If they had maybe established a girl had a relationship with this uh, character and an even deeper reason why her hatred of him, her words blaming him for the death of their family cut him so deeply, I think that would have been even stronger. But, you know, this is a well-written backstory. Because there are so many really interesting ideas and lore bits in here, I really would have wished it would have been expanded upon. We saw some more of these little details filled in. If anything, I kind of wish this backstory had happened earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, up until this point, Igoro was probably the one Hashira I did not care about. Like, I didn't know anything about him. He hasn't really done much besides look cool. Yeah, and now we see that beneath that facade is actually a really broken person. Uh, so I think it would have been nice to see a little bit more of that before. Yeah, no, I'm in complete agreement. I mean, I didn't want to be like the downer, but like this is uh, uh, okay. Well, I guess I'm going to do what I'm famous for. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this is like one of my issues I had with Gintama is this specific thing, <laughs> which is that it's a great backstory. I don't think anybody disagrees here on that. It's really great. It was really well written, but it's like I wouldn't even go as far as saying too little, too late. But it feels like this is something we could have had more of an allusion to up until now. 
Because, like, as, as everybody has said, you know, Igoro has just kind of just been in the background this whole time. And then it, it almost feels, uh, well, lack for lack of a better word, it almost kind of cheapens his really well-written backstory, especially if he just dies afterwards. Or if, even if Kondoroji dies and she's just used as a, um, and pun fully intended, pillar <laughs> for him to become, you know, more well-adjusted. It's just like, if this had been something that was alluded to, I'm not saying necessarily giving him a whole arc for his backstory where Tanjiro comes and tells him it's going to be okay like some of the other characters. I'm not saying necessarily that, but at least like one or two chapters aside from him where he's maybe just reminiscing on what brought him here to be a Hashira. And that would have been great. And then we could have had the backstory there. Then we, at least we know. And then granted, I understand with a weekly manga, it's hard to write a story, draw it and get everything the way it is. And so far, again, I think we can all agree that Demon Slayer has been pretty tightly paced, pretty tightly written. So of course there are going to be loose ends here or there. So I'm definitely not as disappointed in Gotoge as I am with Sorachi, but it does feel like this is the one thing that like it would have really helped if we just just a little bit of backstory for him. Even if after that he went back to not really doing anything. At least we know as of Igoro as a, a three-dimensional character, even if he didn't really do much other than, hey, here's my backstory. Sorry guys, I got other things to do. You know, that that would have been really it just feels like a little bit that has cheapened a bit because now it's just like, oh, he's about to die, but here's his backstory, so you feel sorry for him, you know. I mean, I do think it is a strength of Gotoge's writing that in the span of even just half a chapter, just the span of his backstory, she turned this character I did not have any feelings about at all into a character that I'm actually very interested in seeing where his story goes, how it's resolved, and like what his fate will be. Like, the fact that she could establish this in this backstory so quickly and get me to care about Igoro is very impressive. But again, you know, yeah, I would have really liked to have seen not only this backstory expanded in some of these areas, because there's so many interesting ideas here that, you know, could have been explored even more deeply. But I, again, like you were saying, Sakagi, I wish that they had been interspersed earlier. Like, this idea of this surviving cousin, I, you know, just thinking about it, like, that's interesting. Like, this cousin has survived. She hates Siguro. Maybe she would have teamed up with Muzan. She could have become a Kizuki, and we could have had an arc of, like, Igoro kind of confronting his past and a surviving member of his family. And that could have been a good character exploration for him then, uh, leading up into him now still burdened by this past, uh, going into this battle with the intention of dying in the fight against Muzan to redeem himself. So there are things just reading this chapter and just thinking about how this character has been underutilized in the story where I'm like, you know, made some adjustments here, included him in the story in other areas, built more of a story around him. And you could have had something really, really interesting and much more compelling here. What we have is still very interesting and compelling, but like it is a little sudden and a little bit too quick to really feel uh kind of like it flows and doesn't and it feels like organic to what's ha- been happening in the story. Like it, it does feel like, oh, this is like a sudden new thing we've learned about Igoro I get, that we would never have guessed before because it's not really been into that. 
Yeah, you were saying something, Marion? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to say, like, there's still stuff that we don't know that makes me think we're either going to get, like, a second part to this, uh, or at least uh, uh, maybe... My, my main point is going to be that, like, at the end, like, he's saying, like, oh, if uh, I was reborn as a human in a peaceful world without demons, I'll, I'll tell you all of my feelings for you, for specifically being uh, when I talking about Kanroji. But, like, we don't know, like, why he's in love with her. And, like, going back, like, it's obvious that um, there's, if, if it's not, like, uh, like, I don't know if it's, like, required or not, but, like, he, she obviously cares about him as well. Uh, and because she, she's the one who tells him, "No, Igro, don't get yourself killed." And as she's like crying, it's like, to me, it looks obvious that she knows that he's basically going out there to kill himself, to get himself killed in the fight. Um, so that makes me wonder, like, how much of this does she know, and like, how much does uh? Well, she, obviously, she cares a lot about him, but like, how much of what she knows is like affecting that? And like, so this makes me think we're either gonna get like a second part of the backstory, like through her perspective, and like how they. In, in, like met and interacted because uh, it's been like it's been hinted at the story for the longest time that like Omanai has feelings for her and like like obviously he's very fond of her or whatever like he looks out for her uh, so I'm curious about how that's going to be handled because then if if it gets to that point then I, I feel like I would be much more satisfied with either uh, either both of them being alive or both of them like, dying like depending on how it's handled or whatever uh, I think there's, I think there's still like potential yet. Even though, like, I agree that uh, this was, it was well written, but like at this point of the story, it's a little hard to um, not take seriously, but like just accept it, like just like have it thrown at us in this in the way that like uh, Takaki was saying uh, in in the case of like Intama with some of the backstories. But uh, yeah, like I, I don't know, there's still potential. I, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you can't come out of the chapter being like, "Oh, Igoro is one of the best characters in the series," just from this chapter because like the the work wasn't there. It wasn't like built up in the previous 180 plus chapters of the series, like what this character's deal was. But I agree that that relationship with Kanroji. That also needs to be explored more. So there's still so much more groundwork to really make whatever payoff is coming, like, really effective. But it seems like this is being set up as uh, an integral component in this final battle with Muzan. So I'm hoping that it delivers and uh, the execution comes through. So I'm going to be interested and hoping to see, like, more of a Igoro Kanroji backstory that gets into that relationship a little bit more and then... Uh, before before we get into like whatever payoff of Hiro's last stand or Kenroji's last stand is going to be, yeah. So yeah. I have I have two other things, and then uh yeah. Like, so one one of them was like a serious half. Another one is like not so serious, but like I noticed uh, back on page eight, uh, Kab- Kaburamaru, uh, the snake or whatever. Um, like it actually emotes, and like there's a lot of stuff it does in the background that I didn't really notice until like I took a closer look. And on the on the third panel of that page, where he's saying to the to the younger ranked uh, demon slayer corpse member, "Oh, I'm counting on you," uh, you see the snake like uh, with like a little tear in its eye, and it looks like it's like patting or like like licking the 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 head of Kanroji. Like obviously, the snake cares about her as well, which I think is really cute. Yeah, 
You know, Icaro's relationship with the snake, I think that also should have been expanded upon more other than, oh, uh, randomly I met this snake and it became my only friend. (laughs) And it's not like there is a big reason why the snake was here in this house. It was just this random snake I befriended. Like, can uh, Icaro communicate with the snake? Has that been established? I don't think he has before. Yeah, so the snake has just been kind of like a prop that on Igoro, like it hasn't really been a much of a character at this point. So we didn't really get a sense of like the relationship he had with the snake, uh, yeah. that it was so important to him. Yeah. That's not another thing that should have been expanded upon. It's uh, just like, um, Oh, Hey, I, I have this cool snake. Now I'm going to wear it around my neck. Yeah. You know, the connection to like why he is the snake Hashira. Like, uh, I don't know if that was, properly explained either in, in this backstory like his family had this connection with the snake demon goddess but uh like how did that how does that translate to him i gotta i mean that leads me to wondering a question like okay some of them are obvious but do they decide what hashira they're going to be or does somebody else do that uh, <laughs> I, I think I think that it doesn't. I really. I don't think it really matters. Uh, okay. Just, okay. I think it just gets to the point where, like, oh, they're strong enough. We're gonna be a Hashira now. And like, obviously, like we know that some of the like the breathing techniques have like they stemmed off from like other forms. Like, uh, mm-hmm. isn't like I think snake breathing comes from either water or wind. But like, okay, okay, yeah. So that, like, that. Uh, so like, I'm assuming like the snake breathing is just like self-taught, and like obviously like he grew up around snakes. That's what he came up with. Okay, that's yeah, that was something I was wondering. I mean, like, yeah, some of them are kind of obvious. Like, you know, they were taught a thing and they adopted it. And I mean, I always kind of just thought of it another another way as, oh, well, this is um, you know, it was just the thing where it's like you got. It's kind of like a cool name, you know. Hey, you guys are strong enough, so you get like a cool name. So people, when Demon Slayer is here, oh, it's the Snake Breath the Pillar. You have to run, you know. It, it just sounds cool. I, but yeah. it was something I, I I had been kind of wondering about. Do they like? Name themselves, or is it just? I mean, I guess I, I, I guess what you're saying makes sense. I guess I kind of knew that it wasn't a thing, but like somebody just said, you know, um, I forgot his name. I know his voice actor's name, but not his name. Ubayashiki, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, Ubayashiki, the, the master of the mansion. Yeah, yeah. I kind of figured it wasn't a thing where it's like, okay, well, we need a snake Hashira. You look like nah. you, you look like you would be a snake Hashira, buddy. Hey, you have a snake. You should be the snake <laughs> Hashira. That's the only reason he's a snake Hashira is that oh, they they saw he had a pet thing. It's like oh, perfect. We need a niche to fill. But yeah, I guess it does really seem that they hone their own specialties, and then when they become Hashira. Their title is just based off of what specialty that they have developed. It's not like they need to have a snake Hashira. Of course, some of the Hashira are training their own disciples. Yeah. But I do feel that the connection between Igoro's backstory and him developing snake breeding is very flimsy. Uh, It requires the reader to fill in the blanks a lot. So... Yeah, there there's strong ideas in this backstory for sure, but it is uh, there are a lot of blanks to be filled. There are a lot of questions it raises more than answers. Yeah, like I, I honestly like I th- I don't really think it's that important uh for like the context of what the message was trying to be and like tr- like the information it was trying to get across. Um I feel like uh something that really stood out to me specifically was on page 17 
where you get the scene with like the cousin like berating him and like saying like oh it's all your fault she killed everyone because you ran away because uh you were supposed to let the demon eat you and like that was it was like it's a very like a like a classic bully mentality uh that you see in a lot of japanese works where it's like people are supposed to either take abuse at, like for the sake of the majority so that like everyone is protected uh after we have like this one black sheep or scapegoat like it's something that i i think is a really interesting thing to bring up here specifically because then on the next panel he goes my cousin's berating was entirely unjustified however her words deeply pained me and it's like it's cool because like this is like uh gotoge like like the author speaking through the character that like yeah no this is like a flimsy excuse this is not something that like passes in the real world like at the end of the day you can't go comparing like human lives to each other uh if one person like is in like a really shitty situation and they want to survive what is it what's 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 on them to like go out of their way to like actually try to live like it's a little like not absurdist but like a little over the top i guess where it goes uh with the comparison but i find it really interesting because it's the act of him like doing his utmost to try to survive is what leads him to going like, oh no, like, because of all of the aftermath of all of this, now I feel like I don't actually deserve to live. And like, that's a, that's a sentiment that I know a lot of people actually do experience in real life. And uh, it's something that we see often in like domestic abuse situations or like, uh, or um, just like other like serious situations where people get them, get themselves out of like a very, painful and like emotionally uh and psychologically damaging situation and they feel like this guilt of like i don't i wasn't actually supposed to get out of that like i don't feel like i'm supposed to live so it's just it's it's a neat idea that i think is being explored here yeah survivor's guilt yes for sure like his entire life he was like raised kind of like subhuman uh not treated the same as other members of his family so he already has like a depreciated sense of self-worth and then now with the guilt of this idea being blamed and berated for causing uh, other members of the family to die he's like why am why did i survive i shouldn't have survived so it's like just the very horrifying psychological consequences of living strewn and abusive situation and surviving uh, out of it. But then just being so damaged by uh, your upbringing and so traumatized that you you can't really truly be able to continue living your life, uh, you know, without being burdened by these traumatic experiences. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is a kind of thing where, I, I, won't, I won't say that I've seen a lot of it, because obviously, I can't say I'm culturally equipped to, but I do, I have noticed that there is, they, there is like a bit more in, especially in like anime and manga, where they are kind of like fighting it back against this kind of mentality where you're just supposed to fit in. I mean, it's always been a theme in most stories. I'm not going to say it just started recently. But I feel like, at least nowadays, it's more prominent where it's like, yeah, there are people who are different. There are people who, you know, you, you should speak out if you're being oppressed against or if you're being, you know, if you're uncomfortable or something like that. The fact that Obanai just kind of said, well, you know, she's wrong, but I guess that's fine. <laughs> you know, that's 
kind of like the mentality I feel like a lot more stories nowadays are pushing back against. Like, yeah, and I, and I like it. I mean, not that so much that I liked it, but I did find it interesting that in any, I feel like in another circumstance, he wouldn't have gotten his feelings. I like the, I like that Gotoke like indicated that he knows it was wrong. He knows yeah. that she's being completely unreasonable. Like, I feel like in another story, it would just been like open eyes, like, well, she said words and I feel bad about them. And we wouldn't have known whether how he, whether he thought those were right or wrong. But I just like that little detail where he's like, yeah, she's she's completely wrong, but it still hurts. That does happen in life, you know. You know somebody's wrong, but they still say things that hurt you. Yeah. I mean, it's a very Japanese uh, societal mindset of, like, you have your role in this system, uh, in this culture. You will fulfill it, and then you won't ruffle feathers. You won't uh, cause any problems. And if you do, if you do stand out, if you do speak up, you are, like scapegoated and you are a black sheep and you are bullied in the society and that's kind of like the societal mindset is like if a nail sticks out you beat it down you hammer it down yeah, yeah. see like yeah exactly that's what i was trying to get i guess i wasn't like convey i wasn't conveying myself the way i wanted to but sid like nailed it like that that's it you're a part of the, you're a cog in the system if you pop up, we'll hit you back down. Your your role in the system was to be a sacrifice. And now because of you, the whole system screwed up. And yeah, it does suck, of course, that their whole family was killed. Let's not. But he's, she's shifting the blame from the person who killed the family to the guy that was a victim. <laughs> which, uh, which is really interesting to me. And really messed up. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like, I didn't, kill your, I didn't kill the family. It was the snake lady who did. And you're telling me I should have died instead to, for them. I mean, like, yeah, probably. And let's keep in mind too that they were indulging the snake lady for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was an abusive family. This this was a family that was literally giving birth to babies to feed it to this snake demon. And she is this this cousin of Igoros was a willing participant in that in this family, and like she apparently was completely fine of sacrificing innocent newborn children uh so long as she could continue indulging in these riches yeah so it's like it makes you think of also just the upbringing that she had to have to even make that be okay yeah yeah it reminds me of we recently saw the film ready or not right where there's this rich bougie family you know and they have this whole ritual of, you know, they play a game whenever someone new marries into the family. And if it lands on hide and seek, you know, they, the members of the family, hunt down the spouse and murder her to sacrifice them to Satan. And we see that the kids in the family, they are aware of the ritual and they gleefully are excited to participate in it. And one of the kids a- attacks the girl who is being hunted down. And it's kind of like the message in the movie is like the way that these family uh, families like socialize their children to look down on the other and just to disassociate the humanity of people outside their family, outside their group of people, their class is really chilling and haunting. And uh, that's kind of what's going on here. It's kind of this disconnect that this cousin of Igoro's is seemingly able to make between herself and Igoro, thinking that 
her and the rest of her family, they are more worthy of life and more worthy of surviving than Igoro, someone born to be sacrificed, and all the other children who are born to be sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, any final thoughts on the chapter? Very thematically interesting, very interesting ideas. They should have come earlier, they should have been expanded upon more. I do feel I came out of this chapter more interested in Igoro and more invested in seeing what happens to him, but it's, like we've been saying in the podcast, a little bit too late to really do much with his story and integrate it in the broader context of what's been going on uh, in these in this final fight with Muzan and in the story at large. Yeah, that that was that was initially my thought reading through this chapter was just like I I, I it's not that I don't care about Obanai. I really think I just really think if this backstory had happened at any point, almost any point before now, I would feel a lot better about it. It just kinda gave me and I and I don't like it that I feel this way, but it just kinda gave me bad Gintama flashbacks of how badly backstories were handled there. And it's like, and the thing about it is it is very well written. As Sid said, like, in a few pages, I went from Obanai being like, okay, I mean, he's cool, but what else can I say about him to, like, dang. Because this went somewhere that I feel like Demon Slayer hasn't gone in a long, long... I mean, I don't, I would say, I think we touched on it, but I would say, yeah, I, I forgot who said it, but I, I would say this is probably the most, the darkest backstory we've seen in the entire in the entire series for the protagonist. So this is, it's just, I really wish this could have happened a lot sooner, even if it was just as a two chapter aside, I mean, which is what it was now. Cause we went from, you know, Tanjiro being in a flashback to this. So it is almost, I mean, it's not in the side because it's still the main plot. Actually, Tanjiro's kind of in the aside right now, but it still just feels like we could have flashed over to this at any time before now. Yeah. We're kind of breaking away from the core conflict to focus on the flashback. It was like I, I, I again. I love that what Gotoge's done with the series so far, and everybody's nobody's perfect, perfect. But I, I just feel like this is one. Not I wouldn't even call it a misstep, more of a stumble. That this, it, it almost feels like it's just like, oh crap! I haven't given this open eye guy a backstory, and I'm almost done. Let me, let me throw something in here really quick. Oh, I tripped on the snake in my boots. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well I. To be honest, like on the first read of this, I was like mildly intrigued, but I think I ended up liking this chapter a lot more after reading it with everyone, because I was picking up on stuff that was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that makes sense, this part here, or whatever. And uh, I would just like to point out on uh, page 17, the second panel, uh, as you see the cousin being like really mean toward Igoro, the snake is like hissing at her, and I think that's really cute. <laughs> I love how Marion's just like paying attention to the snake. That's like so. That's so wholesome. <laughs> Main character of this chapter. I do. I really appreciate those little details. Uh, Gotoge does with that snake. That is really nice. And even better on the next page, on the second panel, the snake is like licking at uh, Ikaro. Like it's okay. Don't worry. That's uh. The snake is my son now. I love. I do love that subtle characterization. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I. I really like that too. And it. it uh, it does show that even if this was kind of, at least even if the timing of the backstory wasn't greatest, that Kotoke put a lot of effort into it, like little things. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to like 
I feel like I've been saying this like every other chapter, but like I'm looking forward to reading this in volume format because I feel like uh, having the added context of like because we read the weekly chapters, then like being able to revisit the things in like a, maybe like six months from now is like oh wow, so this is gonna happen later on, but then we got this here and this is that led up to it. It's just I I find that really exciting. So I'm I'm yeah. looking forward to like having more context when I revisit this chapter. Yeah, I, I could definitely. I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with all of that. I mean, I feel overall this was a really strong chapter. I feel Eero's backstory probably should have come earlier, but it's still a good backstory on its own. So I still got, I think, as much out of it as I would have otherwise. But yeah, if that's about it, though, I guess we should plug our stuff and get out of here. So, Marion, where can people find you? So people can find me on Twitter at microwavy the e before the v. Uh, I make I make a lot of tweets about Shonen Jump stuff there in general, and like all a bunch of other anime stuff that I watch. Uh, I'm also on at Good Friends Cast. It's uh, the Good Friends Anime Club on Twitter. It's uh, this is like me and uh, three other friends getting together, like talking about stuff that we've been up to. So it's fun times. Uh, and I'm also on at HaikuPod. Review from the top, IQ Cod, uh, IQ podcast, and uh, uh, we were like, I think we're going like bi-weekly now instead of monthly, just because like the chapters have been so packed, and also it looks like we're gonna be like in the final arc? Question mark? Like, um, we already knew that like it's like a whole new like era, I guess, for the series because there was a huge time skip or whatever. But like now, it looks like we might actually be in the like the last coming arc, so. That's like both like terrifying and also really exciting. So it came so quick too, which is surprising. Yeah, and it was like I wouldn't have expected it if it wasn't for like the title drop, where it was just like the final boss appears, and I'm just like, whoa, uh, wording, like wow. <laughs> and considering who's participating in the match, it's going to be uh, quite something. Yeah. But yeah, Sakaki, where can people find you? Oh, I'm at Kirobon. That's K I I R O B O N on Twitter. I mean, lately, I, I, that's my personal Twitter, but lately I've been getting all kinds of news from all kinds of places that aren't shown in Sunday, so I've been using it for that. But once in a while, if you just want to see how I'm doing, that's mainly where I'm at. Now, if you are interested in Shonen Sunday, which you should be, it's at WSS Talkback on Twitter and WSS Talkback blogspot.com for the blog itself. Blog hasn't been updated in a month and I'm really feeling bad about that, but I'm hoping I can have like at least some sort of Sunday retrospective. I'm trying to get together how I want to present it. Just 2019 a review for Shonen Sunday and how that's going, but um, if you are just want quick Sunday bites, information, fun little tidbits, that's where the Twitter comes in. Um, I've like I said, I've got a whole bunch of stuff from like Rumiko Takahashi's Comic Bond. I've been getting um, pictures from that and other things going on. So it's been busy like the last couple of days just posting on the Twitter by itself. But yeah, if you're interested in showing Sunday, then I give, give, well, I should say us now. Give us a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been good stuff. As a big Rumiko fan, it's been a treat to see you tweet those out. And I uh, love the tributes that all the authors have been making. I um, really regret not buying uh, Lum the Comic Bond now for Christmas. It was, I mean, to, not to blame you, it was going to come after. 
But I mean, I did tell you you should get it. <laughs> yeah, the thing, that, the thing that threw me off is like we were buying it through Amazon Japan, so like uh, it would come as a separate package, which would mean more shipping. So I was looking at that, and I was like, oof, do I want to pay that now or later? But if you pay later, it might be out of print. Oh, you see, yeah, Marion's right. It might be out of print later. Oh no, that's a good point. So maybe I might buy it. I mean, that's what happened with the fan book for Demon Slayer. Mm. That's true. Okay, I'm gonna buy it, then hide it from mom and give it to him as a present. Well, I really appreciate. I really love the book you did get me, which was that one shot collection. Yeah, my, with my a very story. interesting theme of old men who want to cheat on their wives with younger women. And in one case, oh, wow. it's a story about an old man who was actively trying to kill his current wife to hook up with a younger woman. A, a very interesting collection of short stories. Yeah, the, the collection was called Amajo to Dinner, if anyone wants to pick it up. Uh, very interesting. Okay, clearly I need to go get this thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so it's an interesting read. I mean, obviously I can't read the Japanese text, but I can start, follow the story by uh, the pictures. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, very interesting collection of stories. Yeah, we but. should send you some pics later, Sakaki. It's uh interesting. Yeah, no, the, I, I mean it's available on Kindle, so I can go buy it. Really, <laughs> so I, I would just hate for you to try to take pictures of it. But yeah, it's on Kindle, so I can get it. Because now you've got me interested. I wasn't gonna get it just because it's just like I mean I like Takahashi, but. I'm not in a financial place right now, even though I will be better off financially in a, by this time next month. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably going to be one of the things I get like now. I, I should probably pick that up. Yeah, fact, the only downside, there's no furry Ghana because it's a big comic. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> so Eyes in the corner with the <laughs> suffering of kanji. <laughs> Wani Kani, teach me kanji faster. When you get it, maybe we should do a special episode on it yeah. because it is it is a strange collection of stories. Again, I did not re- realize that uh, old men cheating on their wives was a uh, topic older age in Japan. Maybe that's just what big comics into. I guess so. But as for me, if you want to hear. Uh, gen- re- pretty regular thoughts on Mumiko Takahashi related subjects. Uh, I tweet those out on my Twitter at Lomomiyasha. And you can find my uh, work on allashkamera.com. I've been doing a lot of manga reviews and interviews. Uh, and we recently got up our Anime NYC interviews with. Veteran Pokemon voice actresses Lisa Ortiz and Sarah Nana Cheney. Their extensive interviews. They go into their histories with the franchise and in voice acting in general and uh, are incredible reads if you're a big Pokemon fan and just big old school anime fan in general. So definitely give those a read. But you can also listen to our podcast Manga Mavericks for more manga discussion. You can find that at manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter. Mangamavericks.tumblr.com on YouTube, every podcast platform of choice. We're on there. We're a podcast that discusses manga as a medium and as an industry. We do a ton of series retrospectives on several Shonen Jump titles as well. So you can look forward to that. And in the near future, we'll have our best of manga podcast. And you can be sure that Demon Slayer will be brought up on that podcast. And definitely uh, look out for that for sure. 
Yeah, definitely follow all three of these guys. They're all perfect people. Where can they find you, V-Lord? Does anyone really want to find me? Yes. I mean, I, I don't think- know who, but they do. I think so, because uh, you got somebody's got to send those review copies somewhere. <laughs> also true. That's a fair point. Fine. I'll cave. People can, people can find me on Twitter at VLORGTZ. Um, I usually post about whatever I'm doing, whether it's writing reviews, reading manga, or not sleeping. Usually all three at the same time, though not lately. Lately I've been getting too much sleep. I need to return that isn't to- true. Your body's just catching up on sleep. I need to return to the no sleep life. No, that's why you're sleeping <coughs> so much now. It's because you messed up your body. Those are lies. No. <laughs> live healthily. I encourage all of you out there. Live healthy lives. Don't skip out on your sleep. I mean, I don't recommend anyone to live like me and not sleep. But for myself, um... It makes me productive. That sounds like that sounds like serious denial, there, buddy. Well, oh, it not- definitely is. But I will stay in denial forever. Oh boy! Plug your stuff before you fall asleep on <laughs> Mike. You're like Blackbeard in One Piece. You never sleep, so you've lived twice oh the life of, as the rest of us. That one, like a uh, picture of Blackbeard as a kid, makes so much sense now. Yeah, where were you when you got red filled about Blackbeard? The problem with never sleeping, Warren, is that it means you'd never dream. (laughs) Why would I want to dream? Because that means your dreams will never die. Marion gets it. I'm done. (laughs) I'm just going to drop the mic now. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually in sync today. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways... Uh, you can find my more manga-focused reviews over on all-comic.com. Like Lum said, we're reviewing a bunch of stuff, so keep an eye out there. Um, aside from that, you can find my other more Tanami-focused stuff over on TanamiFaithful.com. And yeah, look at that as well if you're into Tanami. As far as the podcast goes, you can find that on Twitter at Podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash demonslayerpodcast and on the Tsunami Faithful site at tsunamifaithful.com slash demonslayerpodcast and we post updates of when the podcasts come out on there and on the Twitter specifically we post various Demon Slayer news in addition to that so uh, follow all of those um, you can also stream the podcast on basically any podcast streaming platform at this point Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor you name it we're there So, whatever you listen to podcasts on, look us up, and subscribe, and listen to all our episodes. And yeah, that about does it for this episode, so we will see you guys later. Later. See you later, guys. Sayonara.